It was a much different day. We're so used to the fast, frenetic pace of our world that it can be a little difficult for us to imagine what it was like for them to work a hundred, hundreds, even thousands of years ago. Just consider the difference in construction projects then and now. There's the mighty Hoover Dam, constructed in just five years, and the Gateway Arch right here in St. Louis took about two and a half years to build. The towering Empire State Building that's become such a staple in the New York City skyline was completed in a mere one year and 45 days. But construction in ancient times was constructed on a whole different scale. That ornate, breathtaking Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris took 182 years to complete. A lesser-known cathedral called York Minster in Deangate, England, was 252 years in the making. Then there's that beautiful rock city of Petra in Jordan, carved in over 450 years. But the granddaddy of them all, the Great Wall of China, took over 2,000 years to build. It was not at all uncommon for hundreds, if not thousands, of workers to give their lives to build something, knowing it would never be completed in their lifetimes. Today's episode, we're going to take a grand look at a most beautiful, significant construction project from the pages of Scripture. Its actual construction only took seven years, but the process of it, of seeing it rise, took much longer. It spanned two generations. We call it Solomon's Temple because Solomon was on the throne during the construction of this temple, but it was only completed in that short time frame because of the investment of time and finance and planning and gathering materials and labor by his father, King David. Had it not been for David's commitment to something, David would never personally see. The wonder of Solomon's temple and all that transpired there might not have been. All of us should be interested in things that will outlive us. We should be willing to give our time, our talent, our treasure to work on kingdom items that may or may not even be realized during our lives, but will make a huge impact in generations that follow. Doing so ensures God's purposes will extend beyond any particular person or personality or even generation. No worker is more important than another. The one who drives the last nail is not more valuable than the one who drove the first. Had the first not driven a nail, the latter could not have driven the last nail, and then we couldn't cut the ribbon. And who doesn't love a ribbon-cutting ceremony? It can be challenging to keep the big picture in mind. How what we are doing right now matters when we get mired down in the details of our particular to-do lists. And yet Solomon and David both teach us some very valuable lessons about how one can complete what another begins, but ultimately only God gets all the glory. We're going to hear more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm happy to be your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. For all of you God's Word for Life churches out there, thank you so much for allowing this God's Word for Life curriculum 
to be part of your discipleship and the way you grow in your faith and relationship with God. This podcast is just a companion to come alongside those lessons and small groups that you've already been hearing or will soon hear. So happy to have you on the podcast broadcast today. Today's episode stems from 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 5, where Solomon said, And behold, I purpose to build in house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build in house unto my name. Today's episode is entitled, Building the Temple. Anybody who's ever studied David's life has seen a striking contrast between the best of David and the worst. In this one individual, it's a case study basically in humanity, we find a man unwilling to harm King Saul, even though his own life was in danger because of King Saul's maniacal paranoia. But then we see a man who's ready to slaughter every man in Nabal's house just because Nabal wouldn't give him any food. David, he committed some gross sins, and yet he is coronated by Scripture to be a man after God's own heart. You can look it up yourself, Acts 13, verse 22. At some level, even when he was rebounding from his lowest moments, David had a deeply held desire to honor God. That was a consuming motivation that stayed with him until the latter days of his life. When finally, as his legacy, he purposed to build something beautiful, glorious, grand that would still stand long after he was gone so everyone would look to it and glorify God. So here's a question for you. What does it mean for you to honor God in your life? What are you building right now that is bringing glory to God in this generation and in generations to come? And that's going to be our question of the week. If you go to Facebook, our Facebook page, the link is in the show notes, you can find our Facebook question of the week for God's Word for Life. And it is this, what does it mean to honor God in your life and what are you building right now that will stand even after you are gone? As David's days were coming to an end, he called his son Solomon to him, and he said, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. When David traveled to Shiloh to worship in the tent that had traveled with Israel through the wilderness, the tabernacle, David's heart would smite him because he had a permanent home. But there was no permanent address for God's house. Surely a nation as powerful and wealthy as the nation of Israel, they could do better than that. Come on. So that began to consume David that he should build just such a place for the glory of God. Now it's notable that David wanted to give God his very best, not content to give God anything less because God is the God of all the earth. And second, David didn't desire to build a house for his own name, but under the name of the Lord. Because anything we do for God must be with a pure motive to honor the name of our God. Even if people forget we ever had a hand in it, don't even remember our name, but they remember His. We have done His will. God is never a debtor to anybody. He never fails to observe any sacrifice made for His kingdom, and He never fails to bless the one making such a sacrifice. David was not allowed to complete what he wanted to do for God. David's hands were stained with blood. But the Lord took note of his heart and what he did do, and God pronounced a beautiful blessing on him. The prophet Nathan came to David and said, Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. Second Samuel 7 verse 11. That was 
Interesting. David wanted to build God a house, and God said, I'll build you a house. But he wasn't referring to brick and mortar or ivory or gold. He was referring to a legacy. He was referring to a dynasty, a literal and spiritual fulfillment for David. For an heir of the house of David would forever sit on the throne in the person of Jesus Christ. In this way, God established a house for David perpetually. When Jesus came, they called him son of David as a reminder that David's dynasty lives on. Whatever that exact meaning and fulfillment of God's promise to David, it illustrates a principle we must always remember when we serve God. God will always do more for us than we could ever do for him. If you ever think you're doing something great for God, you <laughs> just understand what he can do for us is abundantly greater than whatever we could do for him. It's hard for any of us to take a look at Calvary's cross and then use the word sacrifice regarding anything we've done. I was joking with somebody this week that the ultimate trump card is, well, Jesus went to Calvary anyway. Somebody said, well, it's a little cold out. I don't think I should go to church tonight. Well, it was cold on the way to Calvary, but Jesus went anyway. Well, I'm tired. Well, Jesus was tired, but he went to Calvary anyway. It is the ultimate trump card. But when we take a look at what he did compared to what we do, our sacrifice really pales in comparison to the sacrifice, but he doesn't call us to do what he did because only he who is holy could do what he did to save us who were unholy. However, he does call us to pick up our cross, whatever that cross might be daily, count the treasure we'll have in heaven, not necessarily here on earth, and follow him. Anything we have offered God has been returned to us over and over again. Whatever you've given God, I promise he's given you so much more. David wanted to build a temporal house, and yet God promised him an eternal house. And didn't God make a similar promise to us? For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, referring to our body, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, also referring to when we get to heaven. Here's another question. Knowing that God will always give more than we do, how do we avoid the danger of corrupting our motives by giving in order to see God give back? That's a really probing question. How do we make sure when we give, we give out of a pure motive, not in an attempt just to have God give it back to us? Because if he doesn't give it back to us, at least in the way we thought he should or would, we can get disappointed and even disillusioned with God. I hope you give to missions, and I hope you give to your local church to make a difference in your community. But if God never gives you a dime back for all the dollars you gave, don't be disappointed with God. I promise he'll give it back in other ways. Giving is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not even a get-rich-slow scheme. It is simply a matter of stewardship, returning to God what belongs to him and giving to bless him and his kingdom. When David began the process of building the temple, God explained he would not allow David to build it. The word of the Lord came to David saying, You have shed blood abundantly and you have made great wars. Therefore, you will not build a house to my name because you have shed blood upon the earth in my sight. David's hands were stained with so much blood. And God said, No, I don't want you to build it. But it's interesting to note, David didn't fight these battles apart from God's approval and blessing. God told David, Go out and fight. Go out and fight. Go out and fight more than one time. God miraculously intervened and gave David victory. 
Sometimes God's purpose in our life may affect future choices we make. Just because God says no to something we want doesn't mean God automatically is displeased with us. It might just mean his plans preclude some other pursuits. Here's another question. Have you ever been in a position where your role was to provide for the success of others? And what did you learn from that experience? When God refused to allow David to do what he wanted to do to build God's house, David's response was notable. It would be very understandable for him to be upset, or it'd be very understandable for him to be proud and say, well, why should somebody else get the credit for what I dreamed up? It's my idea. I've got the blueprints. Take a look at the napkins. I I drew it all up myself. I'm not going to help build Solomon's temple. It, It should be David's temple. But he didn't pout. David simply applied his efforts to do what he could do. He said, well, if I can't build it, at least can I gather the materials and the people? Solomon will need to build it. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he sent masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass without weight, and cedar trees in abundance. And then he brought in the Zidonians and those from Tyre. They brought cedar wood to David, and David said, Now Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is rebuilded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical of fame and glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. And David prepared abundantly before his death. First Chronicles 22, verses 2-5 through five. David said, I can do something. If I can't do what I want to do, then I will do what I can do. So the generation who comes after me can do what they want to do. Before his death, David was intentional about communicating his vision to his successor, his son Solomon. Not going to leave to chance the completion of what God put in his heart. So he instructed Solomon regarding one task in the future. He called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Then he explained that this was not merely his idea. This was God's idea. For the Lord had said of Solomon by name, He, Solomon, shall build a house for my name. First Chronicles 22, verse 10. Take that to heart. Communicating to the next generation the things God put in our hearts is key. Yeah, absolutely. God can speak to them about the same things he's spoken to us. But let's consider if the way God desires to do that is through us. And to do just that requires intention on our part. It doesn't happen by accident or happenstance. We're passing this vision baton, the product of an elder with a willingness to speak to a successor, to a younger who has a willingness to hear. Each of us is charged by the word of God to be a wise steward, which is every part of our life, our time, our relationships, our talents, our finances, everything. And that should also include our vision. How do we steward those very things God has put into our hearts? Are we committed to honoring God by doing whatever we can to complete our mission, even if that means setting somebody else up for ultimate success? Are you okay with it being called Solomon's temple, not David's temple? Are we purposeful about sharing our vision with others so they can share our passion for the purpose of God? When we are intentional, Like David was when pushing forward these purposes, we are demonstrating sound stewardship. Next question. What does being a steward mean to you? And what qualities must mark a good steward? Solomon's temple would not have happened 
at least not as quickly, without David's investment. Before the first of David's supplies were used and before the first of Solomon's workers were employed, it all started with Solomon embracing this vision his father David had given him because David was gone. This project would rise or fall on Solomon's commitment to it. If he had not accepted this mission as his own, it probably would not have happened. But notice Solomon's words to Hiram, king of Tyre. And behold, I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. 1 Kings 5 verse 5. Solomon accepted this assignment was the direct will of God for him, and he was acting on divine direction. The word in his statement that carried this project forward to completion is that first word, I. Solomon said, I purpose to build. It was David's purpose, but now it had become Solomon's purpose, and that is why the temple was built. Each one of us has a purpose in God's kingdom, and that looks different for you than it looks for me. But the key to that fulfillment is for you to embrace that purpose as your own. You might be the one who gathers all the materials. You may be the one who shapes the metal or hews the trees. You may be the one who leads the effort and has your name forever attached to its completion. However it works out, that's all God's purview. That's in His control. What is in yours, what is in mine, is our willingness to commit to doing the will of God, whatever that looks like, no matter how long it takes no matter how much it costs. Final question. Has God been challenging you to address something, but you have hesitated in responding? And if so, what can you do this week to start the process of fulfilling his instructions to do his will? And with that, we wrap this up. I want to take you back to September 6, 2012. It was 11 years ago, but I remember it like it was just a couple days ago. We were having a prayer meeting on a Saturday night in Mount Vernon, Ohio. At that point, I had been associate pastor in our local church for two years, serving my pastor, Pastor Dwayne Kramer. I'd been at the church on staff for six years, and I I just knew the church is going to grow, 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 but it hadn't grown like I thought. So I thought, okay, that's fine. During this prayer meeting, I'm praying for growth, one family at a time, one Bible study at a time, incremental growth. And while I'm praying... The Lord spoke to me, and I don't say that lightly, but he did. And he said, the revival coming to Mount Vernon will not just be incremental. It will be explosive and expansive. It will come suddenly, and only God will get the glory for it. When I heard that, I was so excited. I was thrilled. I told the church perhaps that very next day that we were going to see explosive, expansive growth. Here we go, tear down the walls, call the architect. We're going to build. We're getting ready to grow out of our building. And we didn't grow like I thought we would, but that's okay. I've got a word from the Lord. And a year passed and another year and another year. And then four years after God gave me that word, 2016, was a difficult year. I was elected pastor in May, but in 2016, we had 11 funerals. Then in 2017, we had 13 funerals, 24 funerals in 24 months. It was such a difficult time, but I held on to a word from the Lord that we were going to see explosive, expansive revival in Mount Vernon, Ohio. I kept reminding the church that we were going to see explosive, expansive revival. Only God will get the glory for it. I kept reminding myself. I kept reminding my family. We were going to see it. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. And one day I was riding my bicycle to the office, 
And on my bike ride, I was kind of having it out with God a little bit. Why aren't we growing? Where is the revival? You promised it. And the Lord dealt with me, and he asked me a question. If you build for it, but you don't see it, would you still build for it? And that question almost stopped me on my bicycle. I always thought this explosive, expansive revival would come in my day with me behind the pulpit and me at the helm and me as the pastor. And the Lord challenged me. If it's not about you, if it doesn't come in your leadership, if it doesn't come in your day, would you still build for it so the person who comes after or the persons who come after you will see it and I'll get the glory for it? Only God will get the glory. And I started to realize this is so much bigger than me, so much bigger than one pastorate, so much bigger than one person or personality. This is all about God. I hope you'll realize in your life, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're serving, keep building, keep gathering materials, keep gathering laborers, keep gathering volunteers, keep amassing a team, marshalling a team, leading a team, following in a team, doing what you can for the glory of God. What you're building today is not only for your generation, but for future generations. But all of it, no matter what you do, how much or how little you do, it's all for the glory of God. I want us to pray for God to place in our hearts these desires and these callings that will honor him. And then for God to give us the strength and the courage to do whatever he asks. And really for the motive to do it all for his glory, not ours. Lord Jesus, I thank you. God, put desires and callings in our hearts. Give us dreams. Give us visions. What you want us to be, what you want us to do, Lord, put it in our hearts, I pray. Let it be said of us like it was said of David and Solomon, that the Lord has purposed to give me this, or the Lord has put this in my heart. Whatever that is on a local church level, as we minister in our local churches, as we help disciple people in our communities, Lord, let it be this desire, this calling in our hearts. And I pray, let us do it all for your glory. Give us the courage to do what you've called us to do. Help us, Lord, I pray that all we do will be for the glory of God. Lord Jesus, may we do what we do to affect and impact and minister to future generations so they too can know you like we are so blessed to know you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. For the glory of God, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I surely hope this has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe, follow, like, share, and let others know about the podcast and let others know about God's Word for Life. If you're a church that uses God's Word for life, praise God. You can get all the resources you need at PentecostalPublishing.com. If you're not a church who uses God's Word for life, but you're interested in it, curious about it, you would like to know either if you're the pastor or you'd like to share it with your pastor or your teachers, there are small group leaders, go to PentecostalPublishing.com. There is an area under Curriculum for God's Word for Life that has all the resources and answers a lot of the questions, such as what are we going to be covering, what available resources are there for small groups, for youth, for children, for adults. All of that is there, and you can get great, great curriculum options to grow in your relationship with God at the local church level and in small groups. God's Word for Life at PentecostalPublishing.com. We're going to have a whole boatload of resources at General Conference this coming week in Indianapolis, Indiana. So if you're going to be there, stop by the God's Word for Life booth. You'll see me. I'll be there in the curriculum area of the Pentecostal Publishing House booth or also Pentecostal Resources Group booth, and I will be happy to answer your questions and show you some of those resources so you can use God's Word for Life in your discipleship. Next week, I want to share with you the final 
episode in this series, David and Solomon, and it's called Solomon Asks for Wisdom. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in Indianapolis. Please come and say hi. Let me know you listen to the podcast. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.